On the flip side, one of the things that's a shortcoming, in my opinion, of Americans is they become very insular because America is such a big part of the world and they don't travel, they don't have context for a lot of other cultures or people. My circumstances have allowed me that and so that's amazing. Leads me to my answer. Sweden, which this is probably my seventh or eighth trip here because uh, I've done a lot of speaking here and some business here. Um, in a lot of ways, I believe Sweden is a preview to America in 50 to 75 years. I think the maturity of Europe as a whole, and then specifically in the Nordics, and then specifically to Sweden, my number one thing that interests me about Sweden is I kind of think it's, I guess I almost think sometimes that I'm looking at the place that my grandchildren are gonna live in if they decide to stay in America. And what I mean by that is it's obviously an older country uh, for that point, but there's there's an incredible thing that Sweden has that I admire, which is socially, it's so outrageously progressive in comparison to the macro world. However, it's not as foofy, foofy, or soft. Crazy. Why you think all them young niggas is so emotional? Why you think all them young niggas ain't, you know, they so impulsive? They don't think, they just move, they just do shit recklessly. They so reckless, you know what I mean? And see, motherfuckers don't study shit. If, at least if you gonna get high on something, you should want to know how that shit affects your body. But, you know, that's just the times that we live in now, just like I was talking about before. The way the world is now, it promotes foolishness. It, it promotes ignorance and stupidity. It promotes not reading. You know, these young niggas, they not reading the motherfucking thing. Especially the gangbangers, you know what I mean? The young, the young hood niggas, they not reading shit, and they just getting high. Jason Brown, I appreciate you. They're just getting high, man. And see, they don't even understand what they put in their body and how it affects them. See, like, what a lot of people don't know about crystal meth, I've never done that shit a day in my life. But I just be interested in shit like that. I, I be interested in knowing, you know, how shit affects the body. You know, I, I, I just, you know. But anyway, crystal meth, right? What a lot of motherfuckers don't know. When you use crystal meth for an extended period of time, when you going hard on that shit for years, obviously, uh, is not good. It's a, it's a negative greed, where you're harming other people to become wealthy, and you don't have to do that. You know, if you just understand the function of money, firstly, and respect it, you'll realize that. Money isn't the root of investment bank stock. You're giving them money to go out and generate business in primary markets and business in secondary markets. That's what you're doing. You're providing. So going back to the other point, the advantages and disadvantages of this system, you start noticing a lot more. Part of the traveling discussion was uh, buying your dream life for cash. Do you remember that? 
So if you go around the world and you decide, okay, this is my heaven. This is, this is where I want to be forever. That's the place where you should be buying something for cash. But if you haven't got the cash, obviously you have to wait and figure out how to get that money to buy it. And when you've got that, what does it mean? Well, you can operate with total freedom. Because if you came back to the UK and the UK fell apart, what happens? Well, 99.9% of the population are running around scrambling, trying to sort their lives out. What do you do? You jump in a car and go to Hero. And on the other side of the world, you've got your dream life. So when you're operating... So, though I think that there's a lot of um, progressive thinking in the marketplace, I do still think the nature of a corporate structure um, and the nature of being a big, let's say a big company, still requires you to hit numbers in every 90 days. Uh, And so, you know, ironically, um, in the bigger businesses, call it the 100 biggest businesses in the re, in in this in the country uh it doesn't look so 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 different than other parts of the world um i think as you go down the scale uh i do think that there's um uh i think on the coasts of america on the entrepreneurial level there is a little bit um uh of a potential for burnout or too much overworking or working for the sake of working that I think is a little more balanced here from the startups that I've interacted with. Um, And so much of the same in the top 100 companies compared to the the world, which is much more to do on culture and people and marketing. Um, Value against that payment. So if you're starting from scratch, you need to sell the thing that you think you're best at, no matter what it is. So for me, what I'm best at is observing human behavior and understanding new ways to get people to know something. Mm-hmm. That's why social worked for me. That's why if I was starting today, right now, if this was a bizarre world and today was day one, everything's the same for me. I'm just coming out of the business. I would probably call my company Vayner Voice. Here's why. I'm capable enough to sell some consulting scopes about where voice is going to keep me around to eventually be the best dev shop on Alexa skills and Google Home because I genuinely think that the voice device is the only potential I do not think it's guaranteed because I don't see the scale yet. But it is, and this is what how I look about TikTok. I don't think TikTok is. Yeah, I saw, I saw somebody mention that I say Instagram's dead, and it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying TikTok is the first platform that I see that has the potential 
to become the next thing. That's what I thought about social cam. That's what I thought about Vine. That's what I thought about Snap. That Isaac Grace had made like $900,000 wholesaling. And I knew for a fact that Isaac Grace was coming to me and asking me wholesaling questions to me for me to help him help his business. So I knew that he wasn't indeed making that type of money. So uh, when when Isaac had, po- I mean, when Jay posted that Isaac had made 900000 uh Isaac Grace's girlfriend, baby mama, whatever, had came out and basically was like, hey, man, he doesn't even take care of his daughter and all this other stuff. So it's, it's a whole lot of flexing going on. It's like, hey, let me put out these big numbers and say that we're doing these amazing things and I'm giving away X amount of dollars. Like, it's all about this big, like, number, big, like, up to, like, if you notice, like, we say we're going to give up to $3 million a day. Like, what the fuck is up to $3 million a day? Hold up. Let's go back, T. T, you the real estate man. You the real estate man. I got to make sure. Does this make sense? You don't got to tell me if it's a good investment. 26% return in six years. Make this make sense. Is this an accurate display of the potential? Come on, T. At least you can tell me that. I wouldn't say it's an accurate uh, uh, assessment of what it can do. I think everything that they're doing is, is like inflated. Everything that he's doing is is, is super inflated. That's what Jay, that's what Jay is though. Like he's gonna put sauce on everything to make it appeal so people spend more money. Mm. What about this one? You know what about this one? Can you? What does a professional trader at a hedge fund do? First and foremost protect the capital of their clients, so their investors. Make money in rising and falling markets. The professional traders are known as portfolio managers, PMs. And their only function is positive selection portfolio. positions that they actually want to have. There's no market making activity. Their function is similar to the proprietary trading function, but it's 100% of the time. The only difference is just the nature of the business they operate in. So let's have a look at the differences in the nature of the business. So investment banks, where does the capital come from to allow an investment bank to operate? They're public companies. They've got public shareholders. When you invest in the investment bank's stock or their debt, if you invest in the investment bank's stock, you're giving them money to go out and generate business in primary markets and business in secondary markets. That's what you're doing. You're providing. Coco Brule, all natural experience at www.cocobrule.com. Uh, 45 and you're crushing it on TikTok. Tell us about that. Why is TikTok relevant? It's relevant because A, every platform that ever becomes a big platform. That's what they've got. So let's assume a 3.75% interest rate. 
over, I think this is 30 years, 360 months, right? Damn, okay, I see you, way spinning and all that. Mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. So you live in your, well within your means. You would have spent 600 grand on rent. So you'd be left with 708 grand if you use that second situation unrented, right? So when you compare the two scenarios, uh, you're richer over 30 years by the 708 grand, even when you're renting. And you have your freedom 100% of the time. And you have, so you have no liabilities and no debt to service. So basically, when you're taking the mortgage, what you're actually saying is, I'm, I'm willing to forego my freedom on day one for a price of 208 grand. And you know going into it that you have 0% freedom over the 30 years because you have to make those monthly payments consecutively. And at the end of the 30 years, you can actually look back and say, well, what was my reward every year for 30 years? Nine grand, 9,700. If the property is worth a million. So if you want to be smart about this, go and do a spreadsheet and work out all of your break-evens and opportunity cost of capital and time and freedom. Go out and spend it all or even spend even more. Um, then the 500 grand property would have to increase in value by 1.3 million to pay for the opportunity cost of not putting it in the box that pays 10%. So it would have to increase by that value, the 1.3 million. So it would have to be worth at the end of 30 years, 1.8 million to pay for the freedom that you obtain by not having the mortgage. Does that make sense? So you can make one choice, you can have the mortgage. You can tie up the 75 grand. So it's now there, tied up, and there's nothing you can do about it. Or you can put it in a box and make 10% per year. And it compounds. So the property would have to work by that much for you to basically not give up your freedom. As a minimum. Well, you've got to live somewhere. So let's assume you rent over the 30 years for 20 grand. In, in the past. Grow, what kind of feedback do you ask your colleagues for? Um, I try to create a very safe environment. It's funny. We have an incredible new head of, let me, incredible. 
I'm outrageously optimistic of the incredible woman I just hired to run the London office. And yesterday I sat down with her and I spent 20 minutes just making her feel safe. Hey, Sarah, you can tell, hey, Sarah, this is literally verbatim. Hey, Sarah, because uh, she has a big Rolodex. She's a big get for us. She has her own client base. I go, look, if somebody reaches out to you tomorrow and they're like, Sarah, we want to talk to you about VaynerMedia, but do not bring Gary. We don't like his brashness. You need to tell me. That doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm thrilled. I, that, I'm unemotional. Whatever's the right interest of the business. You don't need to micromanage me. Right? What is the one question, what is the one piece of feedback you're most curious about? The to truth. Get? Yeah, but about what? Whatever the hell is in front of them. Running an operation is not an education or philosophical exercise. What do I want? I want to know exactly what is an issue operationally right this second to you from your perspective. Yeah, you deserve for me to sit up there, you understand me, and put this dick, you understand me, in your eyelashes, bitch. You're going to get all of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people going to create an email address all in your throat. You know what I mean? You're going to get all of it, bitch. You know what I mean? Real talk. So you deserve that. You know what I mean? Any man uh, telling you any different, you know, nine's out of ten, he's a con artist. You know what I mean? Because hoes deserve good dick, too. And let me let me just expound and say something profound upon matter. You know, pimps don't fuck hoes like tricks. Yeah, pimps don't fuck hoes like tricks. As a matter of fact, let me change that. Pimps shouldn't fuck hoes like tricks, because some of y'all is fucking your hoe like a trick. But pimps should not fuck their hoe like a trick. Sin, what are you talking about, man? What you mean by that? What I mean is, hey man, when that trick it's with that hoe, he not thinking about that bitch. All he thinking about is him busting a nut. All he thinking about is him reaching the climax. That's it. He not thinking about the bitch. He just want what he paid for. You know what I mean? So by him physically endeavoring, you know what I mean, to you know reach his climax, he's not thinking about her. You know what I mean? So when you inside of that hoe and you only thinking about yourself, what separates you from the trick? If you only sex you can do. Like, like that's just the truth. Um, and people always ask me, Gary, I wanna impact people the way you do or change the world, these very heady things. I'm like, well, just do it for one person. It's action. Everybody sit, you know. Nobody is, is a huge pain in ass. And uh, you know, the Google, they don't share any data. Nope. Uh, Alexa doesn't share any data, nope. right? So if you're looking at saying that somebody is going to build a platform or a product which we are looking at, we are building products now or going to build products now, you know, in that phase right now. Uh, in this space, you know... I want you to ask yourself a very, very important question. Is it even possible for retail traders to make money? You've got to access the platforms. So let's have a show of hands. Who believes retail traders can't make money? One, okay. Who believes retail traders can make money?
okay? You're right. But like right at the beginning, when we said the most important thing is to look at how the industry works, what did I say at the beginning? Look at how the people who do well in the industry work. And if you're a retail trader, you can make money if you find those people and emulate them. It's pretty straightforward. It's like walking into any industry. Find the players who win and do what they do. Form 10K. It's an annual report in the States for a public company. It gives you all the forensics of the company and financial understanding an asset and a liability, understanding what a perceived asset actually is. So people actually perceive certain things as assets when they're actually liabilities. And even after the video went out, it's unbelievable how many people still don't get it. Because it's, it really is just straight maths. And we use mortgages as the main example, okay? So let's start with a property, I don't know, somewhere down on this road. It's on the market for three million quid. If you get a mortgage, do you pay three million pounds for that property? No. You pay a hell of a lot more. So I'm going to show you now why it's at, it financially, why it's actually really dumb to have a mortgage. We can actually quantify, because the, the first thing that a mortgage takes from you is your freedom, because you have to pay it every month. And of course, I'm going to get on to the point in a second, but if you don't have a mortgage and you pay rent, you have to pay rent every month. Well, you don't. You can just... Coco Brulee. All natural experience at www.cocobrulee.com. So you live in your, well within your means. You would have spent 600 grand on rent. So you'd be left with 708 grand if you use that second situation unrented, right? So when you compare the two scenarios, uh, you're richer over 30 years by the 708 grand, even when you're renting. And you have your freedom 100% of the time. And you have, so you have no liabilities and no debt to service. So basically, when you're taking the mortgage, what you're actually saying is, I'm, I'm willing to forego my freedom on day one for a price of 208 grand. And you know going into it that you have 0% freedom over the 30 years because you have to make those monthly payments consecutively. And at the end of the 30 years, you can actually look back and say, well, what was my reward 
every year for 30 years. Nine grand, 9,700. If the property is worth a million. So if you want to be smart about this, go and do a spreadsheet and work out all of your break-evens and opportunity cost of capital and time and freedom. Start the process of affording the ability to do voice in four years. Nice. Because their business will grow much more. Love it. Thank you, sir. But real quick, and I apologize. <laughs> I'm, coming, I'm coming back. But the, but the reason I say voice is I think voice is dangerously close. Whereas if you come up to me and say, Gary, that's exactly like the next guy was like, Gary, that's exactly right. I'm going to be doing blockchain advertising to guarantee, you know, consumption. I'm like, that's further along than you think. Or I'm building a VR shop. Not one person you know goes home and goes and does VR, which means we're far away. <laughs> My strength is timing, not just seeing it, right? Like, I'm not talking about TikTok a whole bunch now because I just fucking discovered it. I was one of the first users of Musical.ly. I'm talking about it now because it's on the cusp of getting older, and that's why I talked about Snapchat, even though I invested four years earlier. I wait till things hit a different level of scale that accompanies more consumers. Timing. And I build, the reason Vayner got so big was I invested in the things that I thought would be soon, and I stayed alive with my salesmanship to get there. They're much more thorough in what they do. This is the structure that you can go through of a typical hedge fund when you get the presentation. But for the purposes of today, because we've got a bit of limited time, just to understand the onshore management company and the offshore fund. So let's have a look at the, an example of a billion dollar hedge fund. A hedge fund that's got a billion dollars of assets under management. We're looking at this because the billion dollar number is the number in the industry that's considered to be the level at which you've arrived as a hedge fund. Below that, everybody's trying to get to a billion dollars. That's the golden number. So typically, you can start off with 50 to $100 million these days. It's still quite difficult to get. But you're aiming to grow in two, three, four years up to a billion dollars. That's when you've considered to have, to have arrived. What are they actually doing? EB. And this is a funny statement, especially if you don't know who I am. You might find this audacious, so I apologize. But I'm actually quite proud of this. I don't know if it's true, but I think it might be. I legitimately might be the human being that puts out the most daily content at scale on the entire internet. I, I'm putting out 40, 50, 60 pieces of meaningful content on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Da -da. Nonetheless, where am I going with this? Most of this is organized through one text thread with 30 people on it. I have 30 people now who are on my team that produce Gary V content. 
right? Strategy, media, creative. There was something that was posted, I mean, there, there's been multiple things posted recently because we have a lot of junior members that were onboarding to do things where the junior member, the most junior member, and Maha, I want to make sure you're paying attention to this because I don't know if this caught your radar because I know you're on the list too now. Gary's calling his assistant Maha. No, no my boss, Maha. Uh, uh, literally, this 30-person thread, and I saw one of the most junior people posted a podcast that hadn't been edited yet and had sensitive information and was comfortable enough to post in the entire thread, hey G, my Well let's go back a few years, see what happens. 2014. Thank you very much. Not what they produce for me in the short term as an employee of my company. I don't know what else to say. I care more about, I look at our voluntary retention numbers 10 times more than I look at our profit margin. And I'm, I'm an HR driven CEO, not a CFO driven CEO. Here's why, I want to create clarity for everybody who's listening. Cause I'm playing forever. I own my businesses. I'm, so for me, I can do things that lead to retention and a real relationship because I'm not held accountable to Wall Street or a public market or a board or am so money hungry that I want a yacht. And I believe most are. Do you, because you do have a lot of people um, interacting with you. Can you talk a little bit how you scale that personal connection, your ability to see the per- you say you, the person that you work with, the person behind the employee? How can you scale that when you have thousands of people around you? So we have a thousand in our ecosystem at VaynerX, all the companies I have under VaynerMedia. If the property is worth a million, so if you want to be smart about this, go and do a spreadsheet and work out all of your break-evens and opportunity cost of capital and time and freedom. Yeah, Thank you. That's really good. Well, huh? you know, you know, can I say one thing? Yeah, say so three you things. Said, you said this, you know, there was a disclaimer where somebody was like, hey, you got to have to go out here and tell people that Gary likes to say the F word a lot. But then I was like, man, you know, swearing is a intelligence thing. It's a Marxist intelligence. So I was like, you bet, you, you bet your butt we are, right? You know? I That's appreciate like a dumb it. thing. And, so. and listen, Ryan. <laughs> Mexico, hey, Ryan. I, I just saw that you launched your YouTube on Spanish. I what did. opportunities was seeing to start developing content in Spanish to U.S. companies? Uh, well, there's a lot of people that, you know, speak and understand Spanish. <laughs> yeah, but what makes you... Take the next step. What, what made me do that? Yeah. The, the fact that I'm building enough of a business that I can afford more employees so that I can get people onto the next initiative. 
Okay. Yeah. I want to remind everybody who uses the excuse that Gary has a team that I did it all by myself for nine years without one employee. And for all the OG, how many people here were active on Twitter in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, raise them? You all know who was putting out the most replies and content. So the re what, what did I see? I always wanted to do it. I just systematically went to each initiative that's my top priority and eventually had enough scale on my team to get into the transcription at scale. You take in a few hundred bucks, congratulations. Go to bed, wake up the next day, the company's been taken over for a 100% premium by one of their competitors and you're bankrupt. <laughs> Happens all the time. So that's why it's not that straightforward. Just because 70% of options in the United States expire worthless doesn't mean just go into the market and start selling options every day to make an income. What people don't understand in the US is that buying an option relative to buying a stock or a commodity uh, or an index, buying an option on those products, there needs to be a marginal benefit in addition to owning the option than to just owning it outright. And if there's no marginal benefit, there's no point. Because you have to be right by a certain amount of time. So the risk reward has to be much more favorable over the amount of time. And you have to see catalysts that the market doesn't see. <clears throat> and you have to trade at the right price. If you're not trading at the right price, the risk reward will never be in your favor. So again, this massive gap in education and understanding of how these things work exists in the United States. So the options class is a whole different class. What they care about is you. They care about what you're like, what you have in common. So forget the details, leave them out. Number nine, this is not the last one, but it is the most important one. Listen, I cannot tell you how many really important people have said that listening is perhaps the most, the number one most important skill that you could develop. Buddha said, and I'm paraphrasing, if your mouth is open, you're not learning. And Calvin Coolidge said, no man ever listened his way out of a job. Why do we not listen to each other? Number one, we'd rather talk. When I'm talking, I'm in control. I don't have to hear anything I'm not interested in. I'm the center of attention. I can bolster my own identity. But there's another reason. We get distracted. The average person talks at about 225 words per minute, but we can listen at up to 500 words per minute. So our minds are filling in those other 275 words. And look, I know it takes effort and energy to actually pay attention to someone. But if you can't do that, you're not in a conversation. 
It does, because there is no better alternative. It's not perfect, but there's no better alternative. And just because, for example, you know, someone was born with no capital doesn't mean the system is wrong or unfair. They just need to understand the role of money and understand its function. So all of these messages that we get about money, so money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Greed is. Uh, Money doesn't make you happy. Well, people that I know and myself um, with money who have done quite well for themselves, we know that. You know, that we're not stupid. You know, these guys aren't stupid. And they, they absolutely know it doesn't make them happy. They're generally speaking exactly the same as they were when they were young and had no money. They're, they're exactly the same type of people, but they're just a little bit older and a little bit wiser. And, you know, the other sayings, so uh, the more money you have, the more problems you have. Well, it's just not the case. <laughs> if the more the more money you only have problems if you don't manage your money properly so if you manage it well then you're going to you're going to do okay you're going you're actually probably going to be more comfortable more relaxed have more freedom more choice you know instead of listening to this what you should be doing is writing some stuff down getting your thoughts together you're listening to somebody else's ideas right now, buddy. Go to Amazon and type in Food Journals. F Triple O Journal. The Food Journal. Stop playing. Stop wasting time. Grab the Food Journal. F O O O Journal at Amazon. Now. Respectful to it, but at the same time being different. That's the key to actually starting on the road to becoming successful. Because money will come to you, you will respect it, but you also know. Communication. So what do I want my daughter to be equipped with? Self-esteem that doesn't lead to a delusion a self-awareness radar that allows her to know what actually makes her happy, and for her to have incredible work ethic out of the reality that she found something she likes so much that she doesn't even realize she's working that much. That old adage of find something you love, you never work a day of your life, is remarkably on point. And most people think it's baloney, except for that small percentage that actually have found what they're best at and they love the most. And because we might, in Europe at least, get something what we call basic income in a few years, um, because technology will do some 
parts of the jobs that we're doing, you really need to find what you love because otherwise, yeah, what and, are you going to do? And honestly, it? honestly, I think basic income, and I don't know the details on this, but if you're alluding to being subsidized because technology is taking your job, um, this is where I do think in Europe, and this is a U.S. conversation as well, that is where I do get concerned. I'll tell you why. Farming was what everybody did. The, the, the ability to engage and be engaged in things of that nature completely start with the seed of being heard. You know, somebody being heard is completely different than somebody. Never did drugs in his life, but because he's facing his life sentence and he's stressing, that nigga start fucking with heroin, start shooting up heroin, start snorting meth, start snorting coke, all type of shit. You know what I mean? Shit was crazy. Gary says, what made you not do drugs? See, like I said before, what made me not fuck with the shit is because of what I seen growing up. And that was just my perspective on it. I had different people in my family that seen the same shit that I saw growing up, but they ended up being on drugs. But me, I seen how that shit fucked my family up, like I was talking about before, right? When I was little, before I lived in Long Beach, I lived in Pacoima. Which Pacoima is in the San Fernando Valley in the north part of L.A., right? Magic, Wolfie Senpai, much appreciated. So, when I was young and I lived in Pacoima in the 80s, um, my uncles was big time dope dealers. I got nine uncles. My four youngest ones all sold dope. Kizzy Cash, appreciate you. My four youngest ones sold dope, right? They're much more thorough in what they do. This is the structure that you can go through of a typical hedge fund when you get the presentation. But for the purposes of today, because we've got a bit of limited time, just to understand the onshore management company and the offshore fund. So let's have a look at the, an example of a billion dollar hedge fund a hedge fund that's got a billion dollars of assets under management. We're looking at this because the billion dollar number is the number in the industry that's considered to be the level at which you've arrived as a hedge fund. Below that, everybody's trying to get to a billion dollars. That's the golden number. So typically, you can start off with 50 to $100 million these days. It's still quite difficult to get. But you're aiming to grow in two, three, four years up to a billion dollars. That's when, it's, that's when you've considered to have, to have arrived. What are they actually doing? Damn, nigga. Did something call up your shirt and die? What the fuck is that smell? Nigga, you need a shower. Many 
thank you, many of you and our industry will have an 18th meeting with that person. I don't convince. I put shit on the record and then some people benefit and others figure it out later. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey Gary, uh, first of all, big fan. Thank, Thank you, you for being here. Thank you. Um, so just for context, yes. uh, my name is Marcel. I run a company that helps digital agencies run more profitably without wasting time on spreadsheets. So we're about to launch B2B SaaS, you know, about 3K ARR price point. If you're in my shoes, what's the strategy that you're doubling down on to start off with? Giving it away for free to the most influential people and then leveraging the fact that they use it successfully. Okay. Well, I guess you're getting a free copy of our software. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Maribel, uh, and LinkedIn, bro. Yeah. LinkedIn. And maybe you make, I like when you ladder up a show, maybe a podcast around efficiency. Got it. Maybe a podcast called Hidden Costs. It's, like if I was ideating, I would say, bro, start a podcast called Hidden Costs. Mm -hmm. The amount of money that pe people make decisions in the funniest ways. They make decisions without realizing there's hidden costs. You know why I love culture? Because rehiring somebody has a lot of hidden costs. People are like, I'm not going to give you a raise. Have you exfoliated lately? Get your turmeric scrub for hyperpigmentation at www.cocoboulet.com. Get your... Of course. That's good. It should be merit-based. But doesn't that set the bar so high for the rest of us? No, no. It, it just means that what you're going to get is what you're going to get. Live from the blade. Live from your train station. Live from your bus stop. Live from your front porch. Live from the Greyhound bus station. Live from the corner, your corner sore, wherever. It's Ninja Pimp Radio. Listening to people talk about nonsense and listening to people tell you some smart stuff too. It's a bunch of random all the time. Ninja Pimp Radio. Get up, get active, get outside. Ha! So you're really spending your time listening to pimps, hoes, and sugar babies, and sugar daddies, and ex-cons of Bellin's talk. Why are you doing that? Huh? What's wrong with you? You got negative things on the mind? You're listening to Ninja Pimp Radio. Grab a pen. Grab a paper. As a matter of fact, go get a food journal. F-O-O-O journals. And write down these things. Stop listening. Start writing. Get up. Go. The last time you looked in the mirror, were you disappointed? I bet you were, because you haven't been doing anything. You're listening to me tell you right now, and you know it's the truth. You need to get up and get active. Go to Amazon and get this thing called the Motion Potion. Wake up. Get it together. You don't want to look flabby forever, do you? Get the Motion Potion. Get up. Get active. Get the Motion Potion. On Amazon. On Amazon. I believe in what I'm doing. 
I'm working hard. I'm working fair. I'm, I'm doing the things that, you know, lead to good things. Gary, what is it that really matters to you? Like, what is it that you've been following your advice, which is creating content and documenting the entire journey and process of our work? I love and it. And actually has been working really, really well for us. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> What's been interesting is the type of people that follow us now are mostly like entrepreneurs that are Asian on the 30, which Makes is sense. exactly who I am. Yep. And uh, actually moved to Asia to be closer with that demographic. Interesting. And my question to you is, besides podcasting, what advice would you give entrepreneurs in Asia to build a personal brand? Well, I, I think podcasting is going to have a huge growth in that area. I also think that, you know, KOLs are disproportionately advanced in Asia, especially in mainland China and other places. So you know, the ability to tap into the influencer ecosystem in that world is quite advanced. I also think that there's enormous arbitrage on all the social networks out in Southeast. So we opened up Singapore right. because we think the media costs on Instagram and Facebook and all and the platforms that play, even Line, when we go full-time to Japan and South Korea, are even more underpriced than they are in America. Our global expansion has been... Mom who grew up with literally nothing and gave everything she had, so it really inspired me, so... A lot like your content. But um, now I'm ready to kind of... I, in order to do that well, since the, the I'm working... Is you did build your brand. You executed. I did. So you're actually in a much better place than a lot of people who've done a good job amassing followers, but actually don't do shit. Like, I don't have a lot of followers, but the companies they do have, they'll like, they trust me. Like, they'll give their left kidney for me. They like Correct. And so <laughs> you should probably take it and sell it on the black market. <laughs> take those dollars. So I, I think what you need to do, listen, what is old is always new. I think testimonials are powerful. Right. I don't think they should be boring like we saw in the '90s, but like, I think that I think you have built your brand. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like every time big agency holding companies try to razz on me and play the card of like, well, it's all Gary and his relationships. I'm like, yes, GE and Pepsi and Chase <laughs> and ABI are so enamored with me that they're seven and six and eight year clients of us. They, they're clients with us because they've gotten results. Right. Because we execute. You know, yes, maybe I've been more out and about